they've been married for 30 years. He's a pioneer of Catholic lay evangelization, and she has a master's degree in theology. Put on the coffee and get ready to open the scriptures. It's time for Bible with the Barbers. Now, here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Welcome to Bible with the Barbers on this Friday. This is March the 5th, and it is the second week of Lent. And every day during the week during Lent, the church gives us readings. Mm-hmm. And of course, we have the Sunday readings too, which are very powerful. But daily readings for us to meditate on that the scripture. If we want a biblical worldview, we need to be in touch with the scripture. We need to be reading it. We can't have a biblical worldview if we don't even know what's in the scripture. Mm. And so every day the church gives us readings. And I just want to make one correction. Last week I said the first reading for the first week of Friday of Lent was from was from Exodus. It was from the prophet Ezekiel. So okay. just just Stand corrected. I, yeah, I, I said corrected here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it was it was the prophet Ezekiel. Okay. And and I do want to look at today's first reading also, which is from Genesis. But I want to tie it into the gospel. So I'm going to, we'll look at the gospel first, and then we'll talk a little bit about how this applies to what we see in the first reading from Genesis. So here we go. We're going to take a look at Matthew 21, 33 through 43, and 45 through 46. Mm-hmm. The reading from the gospel of Matthew for the second week of Lent Friday. Jesus said to the chief priests and the elders of the people, Hear another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard, put a hedge around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a tower. Then he leased it to tenants and went on a journey. When vintage time drew near, he sent his servants to the tenants to obtain his produce. But the tenants seized the servants, and one they beat, another they killed, and a third they stoned. Again, he sent other servants more numerous than the first. But they treated them in the same way. Finally, he sent his son to them, thinking, they will respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to one another, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and acquire his inheritance. They seized him, threw him out of the vineyard, and killed him. What will the owner of the vineyard do to those tenants when he comes? They answered, He will put those wretched men to a wretched death Mm. and lease his vineyard to other tenants who will give him the produce at the proper time. Jesus said to them, Did you never read the scriptures? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. By the Lord has this been done, and it is wonderful in our eyes. Therefore I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to people that will produce its fruit. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard this parable, they knew he was speaking about them. And although they were attempting to arrest him, they feared the crowds, for they regarded him as a prophet." The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. In the beginning of this Gospel reading, Jesus says, I'll tell you another parable. The parable that comes immediately before this is the parable of the two sons where the the father goes to the one son and he says, son, go out and work in the the field. Mm -hmm. And he says, I'm not going to go. And then he goes to the second son and the second son says, 
And he says, go out and work in the field. And the second son, on my way, sir. Hmm. But what happens is the first son regarded his, thought about his disrespect for his father, and he later on goes mm-hmm. to out to work in the field. The second son never goes to do the work. He's just placating. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah, Daddy, I'm going to go. I, you know, whatever you say, Daddy, I'll do that. But he never does it. Yeah. And so that, that parable was to point out the unteachableness, uh, the lack of docility that yeah. existed in Israel, that the Lord has asked them to do certain things, and they're not doing it. And, and so then this parable follows up on it. And this parable is warning them of the punishment that's going to come for their lack of docility toward the Lord. You know, Mary, it seems like you're talking a lot about parables. And our Lord did this for a reason. It seems people, even today, 2,000 years later, storytelling is the way to communicate a teaching. Absolutely. Yeah. And our Lord is, is ex- explaining all that. And I know the fathers of the church have commented on these parables for, you know, hundreds of years. And isn't it interesting that here we are 2,000 years later in 2021, and we're reading this same parable that our Lord gave to people. And the fruit of that is still for us today. That's right. And and we, it is amazing. It's it's God's word and God's word is living and effective. Yeah. And, and we need to allow it to be living and effective in us. Mm. But in order for that to happen, we have to let it enter in. Yeah. And then we have to conform our life to it. You know, there's this difficulty in life. We, we hear uh, teaching or we hear someone, mm-hmm. for instance, I, I, okay, I, I did something bad and I, I, was, I was gossiping and, and, and all of a sudden someone in the group says, wait a minute, you're just gossiping about your neighbor. This is wrong. And I can go ahead and justify my actions or I can stop and say, you know, you're right. I, what I'm doing is wrong. I don't have a right to, to hold resentment in my heart. I don't have mm-hmm. a right to hold this anger, to, to, to allow it to brew into hatred and to constantly, is in, in, a, in, in a short sentence, it's like, uh, cease your inner dialogue and change mm-hmm. the subject of your meditation. Mm-hmm. If I'm constantly thinking about the things pe- other people do that, that bother me yeah. and maybe even hurt me, maybe the real injustices. But if, if I'm looking at that, am I looking at God? Am I meditating on the scriptures? Or am I meditating on the evil that has come about in the world because of sin? Yeah. And then am I helping the world get better or am I actually contributing to the sin and actually dragging myself down and away from God? Because instead of looking at God, I'm looking at myself and the way I feel or the way other people behave. You know, where is my focus? Yeah. And so the, the, the chief priests and the elders, and what, what's interesting about this parable, did you hear this? Who does all the work? to put the vineyard up. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard, put a hedge around it, dug a wine press, and built a tower. Yep. So who's done all the work? Who does it belong to? It belongs to the one who's done the work. Now, everybody in every everything in this parable is pointing to something beyond itself. The landowner is God. All right? The ten, he leases it out to tenant farmers. Well, the tenant farmers are pointing to the leaders of Israel that God has put men in charge of Israel to lead Israel to God and also that Israel would lead other nations to God. That was their purpose. Okay, so he, he leases it out to them and then he goes on a journey. So, yes, God allows human beings to participate in his work. And everything that we have from God is a gift. Do we ever stop and think about this? My life is a gift. Of course. Every breath that I take is a gift. I didn't give myself life. I didn't give my children life. And my husband and I 
cooperated with God and God blessed us with children. But I can't, neither Terry nor I could bring a human being into existence. I didn't make any children. God made them just like he made us and we're his and everything that we have that is good belongs to him. So why don't we want to give it back to him? We're acting like the tenants in this thing where in this in this parable here where when when the servants come to collect what belongs to the mm-hmm. landowner. Mm-hmm. So that that it, when when he sends his servants to collect his it's his. Yeah, the land the, the tenants are going to get something. They 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 get something for working the land and for harvesting. But they don't keep it all. And so the the landowner sends his servants to collect what belongs to him. And we need to apply this to our life. We belong to God. Everything that we have that is good is a gift from God. Are we giving to God what is his? Are we giving ourselves back to God? Some people think that, you know, well, I'll go to Mass on Sunday morning and until the lockdown here in the United States, I think we had about 25% of Catholics going to Mass on Sunday. I don't know what it is now. Oh, people say, oh, well, I can just watch the Mass online. You know, there was a priest who told a beautiful parable. He had a, a woman in his parish who had stopped coming to church, an elderly woman. And he thought, oh, my gosh, something's happened. I need to go visit her. So he went to visit her and knocks on the door and, oh, Father, how, how are you? Come on in. And and um, he says, well, I, I was so worried about you. I haven't seen you at church. And I was afraid that something had happened. And, oh, no, Father, I'm fine. I, I was just going to sit down to dinner. Why don't you stay? So he stays and he has dinner with her and they chit chat. And and then after dinner, it's cold country. This is up in Minnesota and it's wintertime. And so he um, they have a, she has a fire in the fireplace. And so they sit by the fire for a while. And they're sitting there, and it's not, it's not a gas fire, by the way, <laughs> not a gas fire. This is a real fire. You know, you put real logs on it. He takes the tongs off the fire, the mantelpiece there, off the fireplace, and he puts, takes a coal out of the fire and puts it on, on the bricks, out of the fire and on the bricks. And he sits there, and he doesn't say anything. And he and the lady sit there, and they watch it. And as they watch it, it goes out. The fire is still going in the fireplace. The fire is still giving heat and light. But the coal that's been taken out of the fire goes out. It becomes cold and dark. And then Father says, good night. And he left. Next Sunday, that lady was at church. Did you get the message? Why do we have to gather together? Because when you remove yourself from the fire... You're going to become cold and dark. You're going to go out. Your, your fire will go out. And what is that fire? That fire is the love of the Holy Spirit, the love of God within us. Okay? God is one. There is only one God. And he's in three divine persons. Within himself, he is a, he's a unity in trinity and a trinity in unity. He, he is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in relation to each, to each other within the trinity. But there is only one God. And he is love. And he wants to set us afire with his love. Jesus said that. I have come to light a fire on this earth. So we will be back with a little more commentary here on Bible with the Barbers. And um, I hope you enjoy this. Stay with us. You can call 877-526-2151 if you want to make a donation. 
Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Welcome back. And we are talking about the Gospel of Matthew, the reading for the second week of Lent Friday, Matthew 21, 33 through 43 and 45 and 46. And Jesus is talking to the scribes and Pharisees, and he's giving them a parable about a, a, a landowner who plants a vineyard and does all the work. I mean, he does all the work to prepare the ground and get everything ready and puts everything in there. And then he leases it out to tenant farmers, and then he sends his servants when it's time for the, the harvest. He sends his servants to gather his portion. Mm-hmm. You know, they're using his land. Yes, right. they're, and, and so a portion has to go back to him. It's his. And we're, we're comparing this with, with ourselves in our own lives. Are we giving back to God what belongs to God? We need to spend time with the Lord. And that's why we want a biblical worldview. We want to be reading our scriptures every day. That's why the church, the Catholic church, has mass every single day mm-hmm. and has different readings from the Bible. There, every book of the Bible, a portion of every book of the Bible is read to us at mass in the three-year cycle and the two-year daily mass cycle in, in that three years or that, now that's not the whole book. We don't read the whole thing. If you want to read the whole thing, you go back and that's, but that's what the church encourages us to do is to read those scriptures so that our life will be lived by that. So what happened here? The Pharisees, they were the leaders of the Jewish people and they were supposed to be leading the people to God, but they had their own ideas about what that meant and they'd become very legalistic and it was just an external practice. Their practice was external and was just for show. And, and the Lord is saying, no, that's not what I want. I want your heart. I want what's inside of you. You know, it, it, it's not just enough to have an external practice. So when we go to Mass on Sundays or on daily Mass, don't be daydreaming. And, and Terry and I have talked about this, you know, how when we were young and we were going to daily Mass and you have to fight that, you know, the daydreams, whatever they are. You know, he was a baseball player. So he was always thinking about the next game or the practice or how would you do this play or whatever. And, and I was just distracted by it. I was in a big family and everything that was going on in the family and other things and people at school and, you know, different stuff like that. I didn't have any particular sport that I was, I found very distracting at Mass, but I, there was plenty of distractions. But over the years, I've realized, no, I'm not there at Mass to pay attention to myself or the, or the world out there. I'm there to worship God and to offer God what he asks of me. And what does he ask of me? That I give myself to him. And by the way, that's what he asks of each one of us. And Mary, that's the bottom line for our spirituality is self-abandonment. Right. And it seems to me when you're reading these, these uh, parables that it really just comes down to what you said earlier about giving everything to God. Right. And, you know, the spiritual writers, I've got several up there on the shelf in the <laughs> studio, some Opus Dei uh, particularly, the guy says, why is it that people don't want to give themselves to God? And mm-hmm. they said that one of the reasons is people don't think that God will take care of their needs. That mm-hmm. somehow our culture has infiltrated us so much to think we have to pull up our own bootstraps. Right. That yeah. It's all on me. Right. Right. When really it's all on God who's given you those hands, the feet, the mind. And so it seems to me that this parable is so appropriate for us to be really looking at all the things God gives to us. And our, and the question is, what kind of response are we going to have? Are we going to say, yeah, God, you know, I, he owes it to me. Yeah. No, that, you know, God doesn't owe you anything. Right. And that, that's kind of the response of the tenants, isn't it? He sends his servants, mm-hmm. and by the way, the servants represent the prophets. Yeah. 
Okay, he sends his servants, and, and Jesus is referring here to what happened to the prophets in the Old Testament. You know, what was it he said? Um, uh, their servants, one they beat, another they killed, a third they stoned. So then he sent more servants, yeah. more numerous, but they treated them in the same way. So how did the prophets get, you know, treated? They got, you know, Jeremiah was thrown in a cistern, and the, the, the prophets were ostracized and alienated from the people because they were warning them, if you don't give up your sins, God will come and he'll let your enemies destroy you. Yeah. God will defend you if you are doing his will. He will defend you and not let the devil in particular have power over you. But if you're giving in to sin and you're not even trying to overcome your sins, God's, he gave you free will. Yeah. His hands are tied. His hand, unless we give our will back to him and say, Lord, I want your will. And so the, these these um, the the servants represent the prophets and the way and Jesus is referring to the way the prophets were treated in the Old Testament, and there's several times in the Gospels where Jesus goes after the scribes and Pharisees about about by the way the the sins of their fathers you know mm-hmm. you whitewash sepulchers you, you, your fathers killed the prophets and you build their tombs, but you're building their tombs to appease your conscience rather than giving up your sin and doing what's right before the Lord following his commands and being obedient to him. And so he sends them to the, the landowner who represents God, sends his servants to collect what belongs to him. And this is how they respond. And isn't this what we do? Mary, let's be honest. What's the easy way out? Not to take responsibility, right? Precisely. And, and that's what sin is a lot of times where we say, well, you know what? I don't want to make the effort to go the extra mile to be in the state of grace. In other words, to make the right decision because to be honest with you, you know, there's sin sometimes is very attractive to just say, I'm going to be lazy or I'm just not, I really, you know, hey, this looks great. But here's the bottom line. And that is we have to make the right decision. And how do we make that right decision? By asking for God's grace to make that right Right. decision. You have to ask for the, the, we call it the sacrament of the moment. Right. God's will is manifest moment by moment by the duties of our state in life. Yeah. You know, and by the way, if a woman is pregnant, her duty is to give that child, That's to right. take the best care of herself and that child that she can and bring that child to the light of day. It doesn't matter what the circumstances of the conception were. I, and I, I bring this up again, it, it, what, what you said about not taking responsibility. Yeah. What is abortion? Yeah. And, and believe it or not, Barack Obama... Reiterate, he actually said this. Yes. He said when he was running for president the yep. first time, daughter, he yep. said, if my daughter got pregnant and she wasn't married, I yep. wouldn't make her carry that burden. Oh, my gosh. Okay, let's translate that into what you just said. If my daughter was irresponsible and committed fornication and didn't have dominion over her own body and got pregnant, I wouldn't make her take responsibility for her actions. That's what he said. Yep. Now, he didn't say it in those words, but that's what he's saying. And that's what happens with abortion. No one has to take responsibility. The men don't have to take responsibility for the children that they conceive. The women don't have to take responsibility for those children. It's like, no, what it, the child is to blame. The child's to blame. Everything's the child's fault. The child is just a burden. The child is just a, a, a piece of tissue to be discarded. The child is this or that, the other thing. But the child is not a person to be loved. Right. But you know what? That degrades the, the father and the mother. And they're no longer persons to be loved. And it also degrades grandpa. And grandma. <laughs> and grandma. Yeah. I mean, think about what they're saying. And that's how mixed up we are in our culture. 
that a grandma or grandpa would say to their son or daughter, get rid of my grandson? No, that, no, but, please, that, That's no. how, uh, we, you know, we talk about mixed up society where we don't know if we're male or female. Right. I mean, we're mixed up there. But you know where it all came from? Sin. That's where it all comes from. Right. We're, we're living in a world without God, and so there's no boundaries. Right. So if I want to kill my grandson, so what? But have mercy on us. Yeah, we, know, need, we, need, we need what you just said. We need God's mercy. We need God's mercy, and we need to take responsibility for our actions. We need to yeah. stop making excuses for our right. sinfulness. Right. We need to start repenting. Repent of our sins. That's how it works. You know, people are saying, but I'm praying for this to happen in the church. I'm praying for the church to get better, and there's just all this horrible stuff. Well, you know what? All the horrible stuff has to come out. If a person has an infection, mm-hmm. and I know this firsthand because yeah. I had appendicitis that wasn't caught right. on time and I was sick for a week and a half on appendicitis before I was taking the surgery. So by the time they got me into surgery, I had peritonitis. Mm. 25 days after surgery, for 25 days, twice a day, and the surgeon personally came into my hospital room and irrigated that wound with saline once a day. And he had his nurses do it a second time. It took 25 days. In addition to that, irrigating the wound to get all of the infection out, he was giving me antibiotics. Yeah. IV antibiotics, heavy doses and very strong antibiotics that could have serious negative consequences, but the infection had to be killed. And so it's like that. The Lord has to pull out, everything has to come out and be exposed. Believe me, when they cut me open in the surgery room, I'm glad I couldn't hear what they were saying because boy, oh boy, oh boy, did they have a surprise, Mm -hmm. you know? And it must not have smelled very nice or looked very pretty. It was pretty ugly. I was rotting. Inside, my, mm. my intestinal cavity was rotting away. And, and it's like, oh, whoa. And yet this doctor and these nurses did this and they took care of me and I got better. But the same is true with sin. That's what sin is like. It's like that, that cancer of the soul or that, that infection in the soul that's destroying you. And we need to get rid of the sin. We need to go to confession. And you know what? I agree. I, and I know no number of venial sins can ever equal a mortal sin. And some people say, well, it's only a venial sin. It's okay. No, it's not. Every sin, even if it's only venial, is still an infinite offense against God, who is love and who is infinitely good, because every sin is evil. It's a rejection of God in some form. Not, not moral, it's not moral sin. Venial sin is venial sin, okay? But if we don't fight against venial sin in our life, every venial sin does weaken the intellect, does weaken the will, darken the intellect. And so it makes it easier for us to commit a mortal sin. Exactly. So we need to get rid of the sins. And that's it. That's what we owe God. We Mm -hmm. owe it to God to allow his grace to come into us and change us. When we go to confession, we're not making ourselves holy. We're admitting that we're guilty and we need God's mercy. We're admitting that I need the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ to wash down upon me because I'm a sinner. And I need his salvation. And this is what the Pharisees weren't doing. They wouldn't admit that they were sinners. And they... You know, that's they said, we've never sinned. And Jesus said, you know, would that you admit that you were sinners, you know, and then you could be forgiven. But the problem is you say you never sinned. You can't be forgiven. And by the way, for those who think they don't have to ask God for forgiveness, we heard that once on a radio show, didn't we? Yes, yes. And also, Mary, what you just said, if we don't think we're sinners, Fulton Sheen used to say, we all, in our culture now, we think we're all immaculately <laughs> conceived. Yeah. And, you know, I think that's true. Generally speaking, in our culture right now, if you point out the error of our culture right now, they're like, what do you mean I can't do X, Y, or Z? It's my body. 
Right. Right. And so they really, I, I can't judge their intention, right. but it seems to me that they're they're so lost, they yeah. their conscience is so dead. Yeah. They don't see the evil in abortion, for example. And, and exactly, I got a letter back from Senator Dianne Feinstein. I had written, you know, to my senators yeah. and representatives sure. to say, you know, we don't want vaccines that are yeah. that are you know that are tainted that have tainted, yeah. aborted fetal tissues in them. And she's like, oh, I grew up in the era when abortion wasn't legal before Roe versus Wade. And I remember all the horror stories of all these horrible things that happened to women. And now abortion is so safe and it's health care. And I'm like, well, number one, you're not being honest with yourself. Mm. Senator Feinstein, you need to do your research. Thousands of women die every single year from your safe and legal abortions. Mm. And in most instances, at least one person dies in an abortion. It's not safe for the child. Nope. Even if it's legal, it's not very safe. Some children do survive. That's right. But there's nothing safe about an abortion, mm-hmm. by the way. For the woman, it's not safe physically, spiritually, psychologically, emotionally. It's devastating. We'll be right back with Bible Barber. And again, if you'd like to check us out on our website, for all the other shows that we have to offer you. We'll be right back. Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Welcome back to Bible with the Barbers on this Friday of the second week of Lent, and we're looking at Matthew 21, 33 through 43, and 45 and 46, and it's Mm -hmm. the parable of the tenants. That the landowner plants a vineyard and he rents it out to tenant farmers and the tenant farmers do not want to give him what is his. Mm-hmm. And how does that apply to us? And so, you know, we, we already talked about how, you know, God sent the prophets to teach Israel to, to give up their sins and to repent and turn back to him. And they, you know, they, they beat one, they, they killed <laughs> one, they stoned another, they, they treated the prophets horribly. Oh, no. And so finally, what is the landowner? The landowner represents God. But what does he finally say? He said, I'll send my son. Of course, they'll, re- they'll respect my son. He's my son. Exactly. And what do the tenants say? Oh, here's the heir. If we kill him, we get to take the property. Whoa. Whoa. And isn't that the way we act sometimes? If we kill the heir, then we get the property. If we reject God, then we get to do whatever we hmm. want with our body. I have dominion over my body. Well, actually, you know what? If we are enslaved to sin, we don't have dominion over our body. Right. Sin has dominion over our body. And we're doing things that actually make us not happy. And that's the whole the, the whole abortion debate today is unfortunately it, it it allows people to be irresponsible, but worse than that, it actually dest- it destroys lives and it attacks the family. Because the the family is the sanctuary for where the child should be born. And when you start killing babies in the womb, you're destroying the family. Yep. At its root. You know, the, the primary purpose of marriage is offspring. And none, no one who gets married is guaranteed they're going to have children. That's a blessing from God. That's God's gift to you. And those children are precious. And it's not just a matter of bringing all the babies into the world you can bring into the world. We're supposed to raise them up in an environment of love and trust and confidence so that we will trust our Father God in heaven. The parents are the first image of God to their children, and particularly the Father is the first image of God the Father. And if a father is 
faithful to his children and he takes care of his children and he teaches his children how to pray and how to respect God and his laws, then the children will have a better chance of standing against a world that says, oh, we don't need God. Those Ten Commandments, those are old-fashioned. You know, that's just for people who are scrupulous, you know. We, we've got this freedom now, and we can do whatever we want with our bodies. And, you know, the thing about abortion is, no, it's not a woman's body that's being killed directly. It's, it's the intent is to kill the child in her womb, and that child is a total separate entity from her. Yes, that child depends on her for life. But that's not her. It's not her. And the sadness is, you know, Diane, Senator Feinstein, when she defends her, her, you know, position, position of, of, well, this is making it better for women. No, it's not. There's a whole ministry in the Catholic Church and among Protestants to post abortive women who are going through, have been going through literal hell, the depression, the the self-hatred, the self-loathing. That just the total emotional and psychological and spiritual breakdown that happens in a woman when she has an abortion. And you know what? There are a lot of women out there who aren't choosing to kill their children. They're being forced or coerced. It's not even their choice. And they still have to live with the hell that comes after it. And you know, Mary, those who have had an abortion, Rachel Vineyard is a great resource. Father Frank Pavone for Priest for Life. Yes has uh, great resources for people. And I even say the men that participated in that abortion right. by impregnating that girl uh, also has to you know, go through a process of mourning that death of the, the baby. The loss of the baby. Yeah. And, yeah, so, and feel free to mourn it, yeah. okay? And, and also know that God is merciful. God loves you just as much as he loves your child. Mm-hmm. And your child hasn't disappeared into nothingness. Your child is still there with God, and we don't know what manner, because we don't know what happens to babies that die without baptism. But there's, there, the reality is that God loves your child, and you can pray for that child, and you can give that child a name, and you can ask that child forgiveness, that you didn't understand what you were doing. Right. And, and many, many women, and I know this from working in the pro-life movement, many women, they don't want an abortion. They want right. help. They have a they have a, a, a tight situation and they need some help. Right. And especially a young girl who's pregnant and doesn't have anyone to support her. You know, well, we want to support you. We want you to know that you are loved and you're beautiful and good. Mm-hmm. And your child is beautiful and good. And that God loves you. And he doesn't love you any less because of a mistake you made. You know? I remember once my sister said that she had a teacher in high school one time who came in and this these are high schools, I don't know, high school juniors or seniors, and the teacher said there's no sin in being pregnant. And everybody in the class, you know, these are all unmarried people. And they're all like, oh, oh, what do you mean? You know, and he said, look, being pregnant is not a sin. Fornication is a sin. Adultery is a sin. That's the sin. Right. So if you commit fornication, confess it. If you commit adultery, confess it. Leave it behind you. Ask God for the grace to leave it behind you. Amen. And if you've had an abortion, beg God for the grace to just leave it behind you and say, Lord, I give this child to you. And I want to go forward and, and be a hero for life, taking good care of myself and my own body now, taking good care of whatever children you might bless me with in the future, but to help other women understand that, you know what, abortion, it's not a good decision. And even if it's legal, there's nothing safe about it. And it's not health care. Right. It's not health care at all. It, it, it's a way of destroying people physically, emotionally, spiritually, psychologically. It just, 
So the tenants, we're getting back to the parable here, mm-hmm. and we, want, we really want you to understand that God is forgiving. What was the problem with the Pharisees? Why couldn't they be forgiven? Because they wouldn't ask for forgiveness. They wouldn't admit that they were wrong. They wouldn't admit that they had sinned. Yep. And so, you know, if I can't admit that I've sinned and I can't ask forgiveness, mm-hmm. there's going to be no forgiveness. That's, that's fake mercy that sometimes, I hate to say and jump in here, Mary, but some people think that it's automatic that people go to heaven just because God's all merciful without doing our part. No, without, we have to ask for forgiveness for our sins. Exactly. And we, we do penance for them, too. And, and, you know, one of the greatest penances we can do for our sins is to meditate on the passion of the Lord. Meditate on what Jesus suffered for us to free us from sin. So then Jesus goes on and he tells them, well, so then, that you know, the, the owner's going to send his son because they'll respect his son. And, of course, then they say, well, no, and they take him out of the vineyard and they kill him. Well, who is the son? The son is Jesus Christ. And so Jesus said to him, to them, you know, he says, because they've done this, what is, what is the owner going to do? And they're, they're astute. They realize, well, I mean, if actually that were to happen and the owner would take the vineyard away from those tenants and he'd mm-hmm. put those wretched men to a wicked death. I mean, they killed his son. They should be put to death because that was the Old Testament, right? If you right. take a life, by man shall your blood be shed. And so he, ta- the, he says, then Jesus responds to them, did you never read in the scripture mm-hmm. the stone rejected by the builders has become the cornerstone? Mm-hmm. By the Lord has this been done and it is a marvel in our eyes. You see, Jesus is the stone that was rejected by the builders, the Pharisees, Mm -hmm. the leaders of Israel, who is the cornerstone of God's covenant family, the church. But they rejected him. And Jesus says, because you have done this, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to people that will produce its fruit. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard this, they knew he was speaking about them. And although they were attempting to arrest him, They feared the crowds, for they regarded him as a prophet. So Jesus points out to them their fault. But they're not, again, they're not, they just harden themselves and say, no, we're going to get rid of this guy. Hmm. Somehow, someway, we're going to figure out a way to get, so what is, what is, you know, what is their inner dialogue? What is the subject of their meditation? We don't like what he's preaching. We don't like what he's saying about us. We are not sinners. We have nothing to repent of. So we got to get rid of this guy because we don't like him. Wow. Wow. And they're not looking at the Lord God anymore. They're not looking at scriptures. They're not, you know, they sure they could quote scripture. Right. But they weren't allowing it to penetrate into their hearts. And so God, Jesus warns them. And of course, this will be fulfilled. <laughs> the, the kingdom, the Jerusalem was destroyed in 70 AD. Mm-hmm. And um, it was totally destroyed. And but the church is the covenant family of God. And Jesus didn't want the Jews to be destroyed. He wanted them to become part of the fulfillment of his plan. Right. Was to establish his church. He had the Old Testament call, the assembly of of God, the assembly of his people was the Jewish people and the, the, the temple was where they assembled to worship. And so they put great store in the temple and, but they weren't actually putting their hearts to God. And this is what God wants. He wants our hearts. He wants us to give ourselves to him and he wants to live in us. And so he warns them that everything will be destroyed and taken away from you and it will be given to someone else. And that's what, you know, Paul talks about the Gentiles. The Gentiles are brought into the church because 
the Jews had been disobedient. But if the Jews' disobedience had meant the Gentiles were being brought into God's family, what will their obedience mean? That's why we're supposed to continue to pray for the conversion of all the Jews. Because their obedience will mean that God's kingdom is established here on earth. And that doesn't, it's not an earthly kingdom, okay? But that God will be all in all for all of us and that we will all be working for the, to, towards the kingdom of heaven, but living as though we already believed that we're, we're in heaven, that we're in God's presence continually, that we're serving him. And we, when we serve our neighbor, we're loving God. When we serve our neighbor out of love, we're loving God. Yep. You know, what does John say in his letter? He says, don't tell me you love the God it's you don't right. see when you hate your neighbor. Yep. So we have to examine ourselves. What is our attitude toward the people around us, the people in our family? And, you know, sometimes some of us find it very easy to serve strangers. Mm. We can give to strangers. But the people in our family, the Irish had a saying. They called them street angels and house devils. And, and the deal is there's, there's a brokenness in the emotion mm. where it, when somebody gets close to us emotionally, our family members, yeah. we treat them very, very badly. Yeah. And we have to check ourselves on that and ask the Lord to help us overcome that and to start treating our family members with charity and respect. All of us are created in God's image as persons to be loved. Mary, you're talking about what the Second Vatican Council called, to, called about for us laity to sanctify the temporal order. Right. So we're not necessarily called all these church things that are in the sanctuary. We're not. No. We're called to sanctify our family, our friends, and the world. And how do we do that? By being, by fulfilling our duties in our state in life. Your father be a good father. Your mother be a good mother. Your student be a good student. We'll be back with more. The Bible with the Barbers on Virgin. Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Welcome back to Bible with the Barbers on this Friday of the second week of Lent. And we looked at the gospel, which was from Matthew 21, 33 through 43, and 45 and 46, the parable of the vineyard, where the... the um, Tenants would not give to the owner of the vineyard what was his. And we talked about how we need to give ourselves to God because the owner of the vineyard is, is, represents God. And we're supposed to give ourselves to God because we belong to God. And that God made us for him. And I said I would tie in the first reading here. We talked here at the end of the last section of this program about family. And oftentimes people, some people find it, especially very emotionally wounded people will find it. They can serve strangers. They can be kind to strangers, but people close to them, they find I have very difficult time being kind to them because there's this emotional wound that whenever somebody gets really close to me, then I start striking out and it has to do with wounded emotions. And how does this play out in family? Well, it plays out and it caused division. And what are some of the things that can cause this? Well, we have a perfect example of this in Genesis 37. And it's the story of Jacob and his sons, his 12 sons, but 11 sons, Joseph. Okay. And what do we have? You know, Israel loved Joseph best of all his sons, for he was the child of his old age. So Jacob had a favorite. Remember, the Lord had changed Jacob's name to Israel. And he had a favorite, and that favorite was Joseph. And he made it known that Joseph was his favorite. And so his brothers were jealous of him. 
And I talked a bit about that on this program, you know, cease the inner dialogue and change the subject of your meditation. And what does it say here? Well, if you read the whole story, you, you find out that his brothers were so, so hateful toward Joseph, they wouldn't even speak to him. The, the, the first reading for today is verses, Genesis 37, verses 3 and 4, then 12 and 13a, and then 17b and 28a to 28a. It's not the whole, the whole story. But if you read that whole story, you find out that Joseph's brothers hated him so much they wouldn't even speak to him. Do you remember when Cain was angry because God accepted Abel's sacrifice and didn't accept Cain's? And Cain harbored resentment in his heart toward his brother Abel. And what did God say to him? He said, Cain, sin is lurking at your door, but you can be its master. So when we harbor resentment toward other people, sin is lurking at the door. And this is what the brothers of Joseph did. They harbored resentment. So one day when his brothers are out, taking care of their father's flocks, Israel sends Joseph to bring um, some, to, to take some food to them. And so Joseph goes out and he finds his brothers at Dotham and they see him coming from the distance. And when they see him, they plot to kill him. Let's kill him and roll his cloak in blood and say, you know, that, that an animal killed him. And then what shall come of his dreams? If you read the whole story, you remember that Joseph had some dreams. And in those dreams, his brothers bowed down to him. And, and in one of the dreams, actually, his brothers and his father's bowed down, father bowed down to him. And then, then his father was like, you're getting a little uppity whippersnapper here. You better back off a little. I'm your father. Remember who I am. But it was not, I mean, Joseph, it was a dream that he had, but he shared it. So then Reuben, who was the oldest, he's like, wait a minute. <laughs> This is going to this is going to tear our father apart. He doesn't say it out loud, but he's thinking to himself, this is going to tear our father apart. We can't do this. He's like, wait, wait, let's not kill him outright. He is our flesh and blood. You know, let's just let's take it easy on the kid. We'll, we'll throw him in a cistern there and we'll just let him die. You know, but Reuben had a plan. His plan was he would come back later and rescue Joseph and take him back and give him back to, to his father, Israel. So but Reuben doesn't stay. So they put Joseph in the cistern and um, they leave him to die. And what is this all about? They have harbored this resentment in their hearts. Instead of ceasing the inner dialogue and changing the subject of their meditation and thanking God that they even had life and they had a father who loved them, even though he loved his other son more. You see, this, this favoritism in families can cause a lot of dissension. And that's why we parents try not to play favorites and, or, or favorite. And yet still our children sometimes think we did play favorites. And they do resent brothers and sisters because they think we favored somebody over someone else, even when we weren't trying to, or we didn't think we were doing that. But we have to pray and ask God for guidance and direction. And so they throw him in, and then Reuben leaves the group, apparently, because as they're sitting down to lunch, and this isn't this wonderful, you know, throw your brother and a cistern to die to death, to die of starvation and dehydration in the desert, and then you sit down to lunch. Ooh, yeah. Is that cold? Yeah, that's really cold. And so they see some Ishmaelites coming and they're on their way to Egypt. And so they end up selling him. uh, Not Reuben. Judah has a plan. Judah, who is the one through whom the Messianic line will be carried, has a plan. He says, look, what's to be gained by killing our brother and concealing his blood? Why don't we just sell him? We'll get something out of it. 20 pieces of silver. That was the price of a slave in those days. 
So they sold Joseph to the Ishmaelites for 20 pieces of silver. And Joseph, we find out later, if you read the whole story, you find out later, Joseph pleaded with his brothers not to do this. And they wouldn't listen to him. They hated him. And this is what hatred does to you. Hatred makes you capable of killing people or selling them into slavery. They're dead to you. They're just worth money. He wasn't, he wasn't a human person who had a dignity made in God's image anymore. He was just a commodity to be sold, to gain something from. And so they sold him. But it's interesting. You read the psalm response. God had a plan in all of this. Now, I'm not saying it was God's plan for Jacob's sons to hate their brother Joseph. And I'm not saying it was God's plan for Jacob to favor Joseph to the point where his brothers felt angry at him. But God did have a plan. When the Lord called down a famine on the land and ruined the crop that sustained them, he sent a man before them, Joseph, sold as a slave. They had weighed him down with fetters. They had bound him with chains till his prediction came to pass. And the word of the Lord proved him true. The king sent and released him. The ruler of the people set him free. He made him the Lord of his house and the prince over all his possessions. And so, and Joseph recognizes this. He, rec he himself recognizes because Joseph is a God-fearing man. He's a prayerful man. And when he was in prison in Egypt, when he ends up in, you know, he's a slave and he continues to pray to God and he trusts God. How many of us will trust God in this kind of situation? Joseph didn't allow his trust in God to die in his heart. He continues to pray. And in the end, we know that Joseph forgives his brothers. They come, they'll come to him for food. Now, they don't know it's Joseph, and you have to read the whole story. Go ahead and read this story from, from Genesis and think about it. And as you read it, think about what is my relationship with each one of my siblings? Have I cut myself off from one of my siblings because I thought that my mom and dad favored them or because I didn't like the way um, they looked at me or the way they treated me? And granted, I'm not saying that, you know, what Joseph's, that injustice is, is, is um, something that we should justify. We don't justify injustice, okay? That's not what we're trying to do. But all of us are sinners. Every one of us is sinners. All of us have sinned. And, fall, and, and done something that was unrighteous in the eyes of God. And if we ask God forgiveness, he forgives us. So he asks us to treat our brothers the same way. So if our brother asks for forgiveness, we need to not only forgive, but we need to cease the inner dialogue that's stirring up all the resentment within us. We need to change the inner dialogue. We need to stop complaining about the way other people behave. And we need to be, start being grateful for the good things that we see. You know, write down every day three things that you're grateful for, at least three. Write down for your family members, write down, take one a day for, you know, each day of the week or whatever, how many people you have in your family for the month, whatever it is, and write down something each day about someone in your family that you're grateful for. You're grateful for their generous spirit. You're grateful for their ingenuity. You're grateful for their... Um, creativity. You're grateful for their ability to do things that, wow, I would never even imagine trying to do. Um, you know, you're grateful for their, um, their smile. You're grateful for the times that they've listened and been there for you when you were hurting and they listened. You know, everyone 
has done good with the help of God's grace in some area of their life. And we can praise God for the good we see in others. And most especially, we should thank God for the good we see in him. And we need to not let our trust in God die in our heart. And we need to give to God what is God's. Or we will lose the vineyard. We will not be part of the kingdom of God if we harbor hatred in our heart toward our brothers. If we do not give ourselves to God freely. Because God will not force us into heaven. He gave us free will. And he won't violate that free will. And just like the scribes and Pharisees who refused to admit that they were sinners and that they needed God's mercy, we too can lose the kingdom of heaven. There's nothing in the scriptures that teaches once saved, always saved. As a matter of fact, St. Paul wrote, you know, pray for me that after having preached to others, I myself might not fall away. Work out your salvation in fear and trembling. It's not once saved, always saved. Every day we have to renew our commitment to God. And anyone out there who sinned, I don't care what your sin is. You know what? You've got a saint in heaven who's been through it, has done it. You know, the prostitutes, the tax collectors, the, the thieves, the good thief, remember, at the foot of, on, on, the, on the right side of Jesus on the cross. The, the fornicators, the adulterers, but they gave up those sins. When Paul says no fornicator, no adulterer, no idolatrous person will enter, that's if you are like the Pharisees and you refuse to give up your sin or admit that you're sinning. Give up the sin. No sin can stand between you and God unless you refuse to repent of it. Sin is the only thing that can separate us from God. No created thing can. But sin, if we repent, can draw us closer to God. Because we acknowledge how much we need him. And once we acknowledge how much we need him, God is drawn to us by our need. He desires to help us and to be there for us. So whatever sins you've committed, go to confession. Find a priest. Go. Don't wait. And don't just go once a year. Make confession a frequent and regular practice. And there are parishes that are still hearing confessions even during the pandemic. You know, and so look for them. Look look up. Call your local parish. See if they're having confessions available. Make an appointment. Go to confession. And don't despair of God's mercy. Be like Joseph in the Old Testament, who though although sold as a slave, believed that God had a purpose and that God would bring a greater good out of it. And he was right. And so we don't want to reject God. We don't want to lose the kingdom. And we don't want to not give to God what is his. That is ourselves. So we give ourselves to God, repent of our sins. Thank you so much for listening to Bible with the Barbers. I hope you enjoyed this program. I hope you like it and share it. Um, I hope you ask, invite other people to join us. And if you want to donate to Virgin Most Powerful Radio, call 877-526-2151. We'll be back again, God willing, next week. Bye-bye.